0: Just invite everyone to open up their Bibles to Luke chapter 5, verses 33 through 35. The book of Luke is about 75% of the way through your Bible. Luke chapter 5, verses 33 through 35. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Good morning, church. Happy New Year. This, the pastors and I are welcoming you to join us to ring in the new year with a three-day fast. And the natural question you should, pro, many of you probably are asking is, why fast? If you've never fasted before or if you're a visitor and you're not normally part of going to a church, this is strange. Like, Why would I withhold from something I love so much as food? right? It's like my best friend. So why would I stop eating? What is the reason? So let me give you the first and most important reason, and that's a biblical reason. Um, In the Sermon on the Mount, if you want to flip to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives kind of a Christianity 101. He says, essentially, this is what disciples of me, followers of me live like, and he talks about three different actions a disciple would normally do, and that's give and shows them how to give and not give, pray, how, how they should avoid unhealthy forms of praying, hypocritical forms of praying, and finally, he also talks about fasting. How do you fast? And notice what he says in Matthew six, 6 16. I'm just cutting it off. It's on the screen. He says, and when you fast, eventually you'll be there, hopefully. Jesus assumes they will fast because disciples will fast, just like he assumes they're going to give because disciples give, and just like he assumes they're going to pray because disciples pray. And when I say the word disciple, I take that as another word for Christian. Christians will fast. Christians will pray. Christians will give. And why it makes so much sense that disciples or Christians will fast will hopefully be more evident as I continue to unpack the scriptures What's fasting? Let's let's just start with a definition so we're all kind of on the same page. Fasting is a voluntary, a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food and other good gifts for spiritual purposes. Okay? So from food and other good gifts for spiritual purposes. That's a general definition of what fasting would be according to the Bible. Now, another reason why we're going to fast in the new year is that the new year is often a natural, natural shift of our calendar, of our lives. It has a natural sense of momentum. Some of you here are real big fans of New Year's resolutions or New Year's habits. And there's just a natural sense of expectation for something new in 2024. 2023 was maybe very, very hard for you. You know, like 2024 feels fresh and new and hopeful, And you desire and long for something greater. 2023 is marked with grief and loss and disappointments and unmet longings and many different things. Maybe you're not who you hoped you would be at the end of 2023 that you hoped in the beginning of 2023. 2024 is a fresh start. And one of the greatest investments you can give yourself to 2024, the most important one is your relationship with God. And there's so much going on inside of our world, in our homes, in our church that are fighting against the greatest investment. There's much in our world right now with wars and rumors of wars and and, and economics and fights and relational tensions and loss of parents and divorce and all that kind of stuff, much that can distract, much that can discourage, much, much that can disorient us to reality And so it's very easy for the most important values of our life to get squashed, to get diluted, and lose their first place as priorities in our life. The greatest values of your heart as a Christian can often get lost in the busyness and the hurriedness and the pain of all of our life. And so the big point that I want to share with you this morning is that fasting it cultivates space, vision, and desires for what matters most. I'm going to say that over and over again. Fasting cultivates space, vision, and desires for what matters more most. And for those of you who are immediately discouraged when I bring up the idea of fasting, I totally get it. You're like, here he goes. There's one more thing that I'm not doing. One more thing on the long list of spiritual disciplines or habits of grace that I'm not doing. I don't have silence and solitude. I don't do this, I don't do that. And Sam, you're gonna just heap more shame and guilt on me about one more thing that I'm not doing. I can't do anything else, Sam. I'm at my max capacity. I, I I'm so stressed, I'm so emptied out, I, I have nothing left to give. Do not put that on me, Sam. One more thing that I can't do. I get you. I know what you are feeling. And yet, I would tell you that fasting is for people who are in that state. If you feel like, man, I'm going to butcher this quote, but Bilbo Baggins says, I am like too little butter for too much toast. Just spread thin. Fasting's for you. Fasting is actually not for those who are super spiritual, but those who realize they're not. Fasting is for those who are not super mature, but those who realize they're still very immature. Fasting is for those who don't have their act together, but for those who realize they don't. I fast because I see pride in my life, not because I'm so humble. I fast not to earn because I've already been approved and received by God, but but rather so that I can help position and cultivate my heart to be in a place to receive what God has already done for me. Fasting is not about earning, but actually about receiving. Receiving. So if you feel discouraged as I talk about fasting, and you feel the shame, know that this is for you. Hopefully that makes more clear, more clarity as I go on. And most importantly, we fast because our bridegroom is not with us here. If you do a deep dive in the Bible about fasting, there's lots of different fasts. There's preparation fast, fast during some sort of like national crisis, there's fast for mourning, fast for divine intervention or protection, but this morning I want to highlight one primary fast, and that's called the bridegroom fast, and then I'm going to cover other benefits, powerful benefits for fasting. So let's look back at Luke 5 that Pastor Ross just read. Luke 5:33, and they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. What's going on here? John the Baptist is confused. He's confused because in his mind, when the Messiah comes, Rome goes. And God's people, Israel, are free from the oppression and the bondage of this physical occupation of Rome. And yet, that isn't happening. And also, his disciples are feasting. Jesus was often um, accused of being a drunkard, a glutton. Their paradigms, their, their mindset is being, expo- is being messed up because they're like, wait, wait, wait. The, the, the Messiah is here. I believe you're the Messiah. I baptize you, Jesus. And yet you are feasting and drinking among sinners. I don't get it. It doesn't fit in my paradigm. And so the disciples of John the Baptist are likewise confused. And they go to him and say, why are you guys not fasting all the time? Look, Rome is still here. Things are not as it ought to be. And Jesus said to them, verse 34, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. What Jesus shows us is that there is a time for feasting, and there's a time for fasting. It is proper for you to feast at a wedding. That would actually be dishonoring if you, did not fa- if you were fasting at a wedding. Like, what's wrong? Are you sad about this occasion? Do you disapprove of this union? No, it would be the godly right thing for you to feast well and celebrate well. On the other hand, it would be improper for you to feast if you just lost a loved one. Something would be off if you were at a buffet the day your wife died. Something's not right there in your heart. So that's one point Jesus is making. He says, I'm here. I'm the bridegroom. We should celebrate. I'm the long expected waited one. There's a party. Which makes us have to ask ourselves, what would we mean that Jesus is the bridegroom? That bridal language is probably very confusing for many of us. How is Jesus the bridegroom, which would make us the bride? And I'm a dude? How does that work? Right? Throughout the Bible, God gives many different images and Pictures of how he relates with his people and how he feels towards his people. And one of the pictures he uses regularly is this idea that he's the devoted, faithful, steadfast husband to his bride, his people. There's nothing sexual about this, but it's all about the, the commitment, the steadfastness, the intensity. And you see this most beautifully in the book of Hosea, where God shows this picture that even when his bride is wayward and they are not steadfast in their love to him. They're not committed to him. God is still committed to them and still pursues even when it hurts, even when he's betrayed. And so when Jesus calls him the bridegroom and makes us, his people, the bride, and he's saying, I'm committed to you. My heart is warm towards you. I have great affection for you more than you can fathom. And yet, what do you do if the bridegroom is taken from you. Because that's what happens. Jesus ascends with the Father. He's no longer here physically. He's no longer here bodily. He sent us his spirit. But there's still a separation between heaven and earth. It sometimes touches, but yet heaven is still in heaven. And earth is still here, still broken, still fallen. And they need to be reunited And so Jesus is foreshadowing when he leaves. He knows that if you were to lose your bride or your bridegroom on the day of your wedding, you would fast. Why would you fast? Because fasting is the natural bodily response that kicks in when you feel great loss. It's not because you're mature or spiritual. It's just because you're normal. If you lose, the appetite goes with it. Because you're lovesick. You feel like everything is off until you're reunited with the one that you belong to, the one you love for. It's the natural response of someone who is lovesick. And And so should it be the case for our Lord Jesus because he has been, in in the words of Mary, they have taken him away. (laughs) But we're in a complicated age because we know Jesus has come and will come again. And because he has come, he's dealt with the penalty of sin and by the power of the Spirit, the power of sin. He's already guaranteed the battle is won. And so, because the battle is already won, we can feast and celebrate right now. We can have parties. We can have Sabbaths. We can have the Lord's Supper. We feast, and Christians should feast and celebrate better than the world. We should have better parties than the world. And yet, and this is the big yet that some Christians forget, Jesus is not here physically. Our bridegroom is not here right now physically reigning on this earth as he ought to. And so we long for the day when our bridegroom comes back. The final wedding, when he comes back, is the signal of the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end of all our sorrows Death is no more. There's no more faith because he's right there. You don't need to have faith when someone's right in front of you. You Just see him and we'll see his face. And the mark of his face is the beginning of no more sin and suffering in this world. No more COVID. No more unmet longings. All will be made right when Jesus returns. Everything will be made good again. Everything sad will come untrue. And if you want that and you're not sure you're going to see his face and you want to be with him forever, oh, I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. And many others here would like the same opportunity. So us Christians, we are in this complicated place. Christ has come and he will come again. So we patiently wait for that day until he comes. We're in this weird place where we're Sorrowful because he's not here and yet we're rejoicing because he has come and has won. And Christians have to live in the tension of both the sorrowful and yet rejoicing. The already and yet not yet. So it only makes sense that we would be fasting regularly because we are lovesick and longing for our bridegroom to come back. But here's the tricky thing. Listen, here's the tricky thing. What do you do when you don't really long for him to come back? What do you do? What do you do when you realize that you have not fasted because your heart is not lovesick? Just do nothing? See, here's the thing. This is the state I'm regularly struggling in. I want the return of Jesus. And I kind of don't. Anybody's with me? Like I really wanna see his face, but I kinda really don't because I wanna watch a movie. And I want to do this other stuff. And I want to build my business. And I want to, want to, want to. And there's all these different things I want. And so there's a complication in my heart. Galatians 5 talks about the flesh and the spirit warring with opposite desires. The flesh is being starved some days. The spirit is feasting. Other days, the spirit is being starved. The flesh is feasting. And there's a complication of desires in my heart where I I want to see Jesus at the core of my being. I want God more than anything else. And yet, if I'm honest, there's many days I don't really want him that much. And I don't really care about his commandment. When was the last time you thought about and longed for Jesus to come back? Like really long for him. You know, the last 15 days, my family has been sick. Just fevers and sickness every day. And it's helped me long for Jesus to come back. more. And some of you have lost family members this last year and experienced divorce. And so you feel that. But there's a lot of times where we don't feel that. And so, fasting is a tool that God has given us to help us engage our hearts to want the greatest things. See, here's the thing the fact that you and I don't want God more has nothing to do with God and everything to do with us, it has everything to do with us not seeing Him rightly. He's not. The problem. We are. He's perfect. He's so beautiful. He's so lovely. The fact that you and I don't long from non-stop every day is because we don't see him as he is. Because if you did, if I did, if we saw him as, as beautiful and as high and lifted up and as holy and worthy, you would not stop longing for him. It's because our vision for him is dim and we're not seeing him rightly that we don't really want him to return. So fast because you long for him and start to fast because you want to start longing for him. Because fasting, it cultivates space, vision, and desires for what matters most, especially when you're not. Here are six ways, there are more than this, that fasting helps us, okay? Number one, there's gonna be on the screen, number one, awakens us to reality. When you fast, it puts your body in an unnatural state. You deprive itself from good nutrients and needs, <clears throat> and you feel the pangs of hunger. You feel ache in your body. You feel lightheadedness. If you get up too quickly, you're like, whoa, right? You, nothing, things are not right, and you know it. And that's a good thing. Why do I say that? Because our bridegroom is not on earth right now, so things are not Right. So things are not as it ought to be. So being hungry reminds me in that moment or reminds you of that reality. You ought to be content and satisfied in God and on the other hand you ought to be deeply discontent until he comes back because he's not here in person. But everything In our culture, and our whole American dream is striving to get ourselves to the place where we have no need. We have no discomfort. I mean, you could pay for an IV now after you drink a lot. (laughs) Like, it's crazy where our culture is. Everything in our culture is moving us and celebrating so we don't ever have to feel like anything's wrong. You feel bad, take a pill right? Eat some food. Go on a trip. And I'm not saying any of those things are necessarily wrong in themselves, but what it does show us is that everything in our world is tailor-made to create a counterfeit sense that the world is at peace when it's not. Fasting helps awaken us and waken our sleeping hearts to reality that things are not right. One of my mentors in Friends, John Bloom tells a sobering, true story about a Christian couple from Iran. They, they got to escape Iran, which if you know, Iran is deeply, deeply not hospitable to Christians. Christians suffer in Iran. And they were able to escape Iran and come to the States. But after a few months, the wife goes to the husband and says, can we go back to Iran? And the husband's like, What? Why? Why would you want to go back to Iran where we were persecuted and where we suffered so much? And she said this it's on the screen. <clears throat> there is a satanic lullaby here, and all the Christians are sleepy. And I am feeling sleepy. She would rather be under the threat of death if that means her heart would be awakened to Christ. She's insane. Or is she the only sane one because she prioritizes spiritual wakefulness to God over comforts? Am I the insane one? Are you the insane one because we prioritize the opposite things? Now consider a completely different picture, but another reality that you and I are Christians. We have the greatest news ever. Our names are written in the book of life. The greatest thing that could ever happen to you has already happened to you. Lately, I've been struggling a lot with entitlement and pride and desire to be respected by some people in my life. And recently, um, that's been really bothering me and creating tension in some relationships. And I was reminded a thought. One of my favorite books, it's called Don't Lose Heart. And on the back of it, the author has a bot in his bio, it says this on the screen. <clears throat> the first time I've never been ministered to by a bio before, an author's bio. It says this Jason still can't get over the fact that the Lord saved him. He believes that being a Christian is the most wonderful thing in the world. <laughs> I remember when I used to say that 20 years ago when the Lord saved me, I thought that's the greatest thing in the world only. And I was satisfied. I was happy. That was enough. And somewhere along the lines, that doesn't become enough for us, right? It's that plus something else, that plus marriage, that plus a kid, that plus a promotion. And I just want to live in that state, don't you? That you truly believe that that is the greatest thing that could ever happen to you and it's already happened to you and so everything else is just gravy. I long to be in that place and so fasting helps keep me awake to that reality that the greatest news has already taken place in my life. Fasting is not about earning, but about receiving so that I can receive these spiritual blessings that are already mine in in the heavenly places as, as Ephesians 1 talks about. God has given you so many blessings, church, and fasting helps our hearts receive it It helps your spiritual ears tune into your father's voice. It helps your spiritual eyes have vision of his face. So fasting cultivates space, vision, and desire for what matters most, especially when we're in a world and have a flesh that's trying to lull us to sleep. Number two, it cultivates our hunger for Jesus. During a recent fast, no one shake my hand afterwards, okay? The hunger pains kicked in, and I was at the office, and I was like, man, I just want to go to Raising Cane's. I just want to leave right now and get some food. But because I was fasting and because I knew the sermon was coming up, I was like, I can't do that. And it cued me in to remember why I was fasting. I prayed this, oh God, I really want to get some food, but I really want you more. I want to love you more than I love you now. And I really want chicken tenders, but I want you more. And even though I don't want you as my supreme desire, I want you to be my supreme desire. <clears throat> John Piper has a book called A Hunger for God. It's, it's actually my, one of my favorite books of, of his. And he has this quote that just always gets to my heart. It's on the screen. Fasting poses the question, do we miss him? How hungry are we for him to come? The almost universal absence of regular fasting for the Lord's return is a witness to our satisfaction with the presence of the world and the absence of the Lord. So, when we feel content with the absence of Jesus, fasting helps us tune into our greatest hungers and our need, and that is Jesus. One of my former professors and mentors, um, I meet with him once a month, Rick Shank, he uh, has this line that he shared when we were studying Augustine. He says this Because of the fall, our wanter is off. Because of the fall, our wanter is off. In other words, we all have wanters in our hearts that want things. It wants all sorts of things. And if you're born again, you have this complication situation where you want the right things at times, genuinely. And at other times, because the pull of the world and your flesh, you want other things. So the problem is your wanter is off, my wanter is off. And fasting helps us realize what we actually want. It creates the space so that the true desires of our heart float to the surface. We all have a hunger hormone that God has given us called ghrelin. Ghrelin is what you feel in the middle of the afternoon when you're hungry for dinner, it's a hormone that triggers and reminds you to eat. Does anyone here feel like your ghrelin works too well? It's an overactive ghrelin. Your ghrelin is not all the same. It it fluctuates. But what numbers of studies have shown that over time, if you ignore the ghrelin and you don't eat, something like 90-something percent of people, the ghrelin starts to calibrate and no longer trigger the pain hunger, the hunger pangs. Oftentimes we think that just because we are hungry, we must eat. Anybody feel that around 10 o'clock at night? I do. It's my 10 o'clock dinner. Joanna calls it. <laughs> we feel hunger, and we believe if I don't eat, I'm going to die. I'm going to harm my body. It's the temple of the Lord. I got to take care of it. And this is not generally true. Some of there, there, you know, this sermon's going to have a lot of like asterisks, like footnotes. Consult your medical doctor, you know, yada 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 if you're fasting, yeah, you know, if you're pregnant nursing, all this kind of stuff, you have a medical history, all that kind of stuff. So hear that, guys. I'm not I'm not trying to broad paint all of you. But in general, most people can typically fast up to twenty one days without harm to their bodies. Actually, there's a lot of physical benefits, but those shouldn't be primary. And the more you have regular fasting rhythms, the more you re- regulate your ghrelin, and it doesn't trigger all the time when it shouldn't. And if you ignore those hunger pains, it eventually it will quiet down. And there's a spiritual application from ghrelin. See, here's the thing about spiritual hunger is that when you ignore the hunger pangs of the spirits, it eventually quiets down too. Every time you ignore the conviction from the spirit to pick up your Bible and read, or go talk to that person, or go repent, or say this, or don't do that, every single time you do that, you are, you are suppressing the ghrelin, the spiritual ghrelin God has given you. And the more you ignore it, maybe it's a day, then a week, then a month, then a season goes by, eventually the ghrelin is just non-existent, and you no longer feel hunger for the right things. It's the The silent killer of spiritual hunger is neglect. And you say no here, yes to the wrong things here, and then a season goes by and a year goes by and you find yourself one day waking up and realize you just have no hunger anymore for God's word, for God's face. It's gone. And I don't say that to shame you, but to hopefully to wake you. Perhaps something in your heart is stirring and you realize you are asleep You realize that your heart is stirring and remembering, oh Jesus, oh yeah, that's right, I love him. That's the one I exist for. That's the one I love. And your heart is remembering and stirring again. Fasting helps starve the flesh so the spirit is strengthened and we grow in our hunger for the right things, namely Jesus. But fasting doesn't just help you want Jesus, but actually see and feel rightly. Number three. Fasting helps us see and feel rightly. That's wrong. It should say, see and feel rightly. I'm almost done with a book by Jerry Bridges called The Blessing of Humility. And in one chapter, he talks about mourning over sin. Mourning is this intense action reserved for death. And yet, twice in the Bible, the Bible uses the word mourning for how we should respond to our sin. And the chapter forced me to begin to wonder when was the last time I mourned over my sin? Like, mourned over my sin. Not felt bad or embarrassed or disappointed, but mourned over my sin. Jesus wants to kill my sin because Jesus loves me, but he hates the sin which is actually killing me. And so fasting helps cultivate space for me to properly feel what Jesus feels about my sin and what Jesus feels about me. Fasting helps us see and feel rightly. I mean, I'm gonna do something strange right now. Would you just look around at someone? Just look at, turn, like look around, just Quickly, look at some people, okay? And just hold the eye contact for a second, please. Do you know how Jesus feels about that person? Do you know how Jesus feels about them? He is so crazy about that person. Some of you are like, I am not gonna look at someone else. (laughs) (laughs) You know how badly Jesus wants that person and burns for that person, and yet I don't feel that often. Jesus is crazy about the people in this room. And so fasting helps me start to feel rightly and see rightly. See rightly, which makes me feel rightly about what matters most. And one of the things that matters most is people. I want to see you more the way God sees you. Fasting helped position my heart to to grow in that reality. Number four, fasting helps expose idols and sin. Fasting helps bring to the surface idols of our heart. Fasting exposes that which controls us silently. Fasting often will show how much our bellies can silently be ruling over us, our sexual appetites, our compulsions and addictions. When we fast, all this junk comes to the surface. You know, the, the old adage where the addict says, I can stop anytime I want. And fasting puts us in that position to really test that. Does that thing, even a good gift, have mastery over us? I know one pastor at a church that once a month, I mean, not once a month, one month of every year, they just don't drink any alcohol, just to make sure it doesn't have mastery over their heart. It's just a natural check for them every year. See, when we fast, all this junk comes to the surface. And when we don't fast, it's easy to ignore Fasting helps expose the things that have grown from good gift to master. Job, good gift, terrible master. Sex, good gift in the right ways, terrible master. Food, same thing. Children, same thing. Every good gift can turn into a terrible master. And fasting exposes that. And when you are real about what's actually in your heart, your real real priorities, your real masters, then you can finally relate with God in an authentic way. See, when you don't know the things that are ruling over your heart, you can't actually be real with God because you're not relating with God as the true self of who you are. But if you actually start realizing these things, you can then go to God authentically Vulnerably and say, God, I really don't love you these days that much. I'm really angry at you, actually. I have a lot of self-pity. I feel like you haven't treated me as you ought to. I feel like I did stuff and you didn't give me back. I feel like I prayed for this and it didn't get answered. Or, or God, I, I really am worshiping my job. I'm, and so you name it. All the different things you could, that can have mastery over us. All these different feelings and emotions, these pains, these, these doubts, when you can be real with them and they come to the surface, now God can get to work and relate with the real you. Now God can bring healing. But this is why some Christians go their entire life growing up and dying in the church and they never actually have a real encounter with God. It's because they've never been real about who they are. They've never had the boldness to say, God, I just really don't like you. I really don't trust you. I think you're angry at me all the time. I don't think you're doing a good job. If you're not real about what's inside, you won't be able to relate with God authentically. Which leads to the next point, number five. It cultivates space to dig into the sticky matters. I don't know how I wrote that. Cultivate cultivates space to dig in on the sticky matters can you just rewrite that correctly, please? <laughs> Raise your hand if you feel like you have lots of spare time. Okay, one person, two people, <laughs> two people, three people. Most of us feel like we're too busy in life. I almost never meet someone who says, man, I just have too much time. John Ortberg has a quote made famous by John Mark Homer, says this, hurry it, the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life. The withholding of food and other things is a tool that gives us space to dig in some areas that can only be addressed when you have ample space. There are some areas in your heart, and your life, that can only be addressed with ample space and time. I had an opportunity to go on a retreat last year, and I just want to be honest with you, I dreaded it. I tried to cancel it because I was afraid. I was afraid of the silence. I was afraid of the stillness. I was afraid of being alone because, you know why? I was afraid of what would be discovered. Because I had an inkling suspicion there was some stuff going on under the surfaces of my heart, and I did not want to deal with it. I didn't. Fasting creates space so you can actually deal with those matters. recently an elder was sharing a hurt and concern about me and I immediately within half a second shut shut it down. No, it's okay. It's, It's fine. Get over it. I was wrong and I repented to that person that day but you know what? That was really unhealthy and there was something going on deeper in my heart. And the wrong response should have been, well, God, I just repented, I'm good. But you know those times where something comes out of your mouth or something you do and you're like, whoa, that doesn't seem right. All right, oh well, right? But what fasting, regular fasting does is gives you an opportunity to put a pin on that and says, that seems unhealthy. I need to go talk to God about that. But I don't have time for the next few days. But you know what? On so-and-so day, such-and-such day, I do. So you put the pin on it And then you you go to God in that day because you have some space. You say, God, what was that about? Why did I respond that way? What's going on under the depths of my heart? Does that make sense? See, I, I don't have time to deal with that usually. I have too much going on. I have sick kids. I have stuff going on with work. And yet, fasting creates space where you could actually engage on those sticky areas. Or perhaps there's a relationship that's just stuck in your life. Or perhaps there's an addiction that just keeps coming on. Or there's some sort of besetting sin or you're given to self-pity or bitterness to other people. Fasting is a time where you just stop and say, God, I'm going to wrestle with you until I get to the heart of this, the root of this. Why am I like this? Why do I not care about people? Why am I so so ruled by social anxiety? Why am I so addicted to my phone, God? And this is a time where you can just stop and say, what's going on here? So fasting helps me either realize something is wrong or gives me space to dig into things that I know that are wrong. Give space for God to really give me grace and change and grow. And finally, number six, cultivates space. Number six, cultivates space to commune with God. It has been said before in a cheesy way that love is spelled with what? What? T-I-M-E, time. Has anyone heard that before? Yeah, love is spelled T-I-M-E. You may be crazy busy, but if you just fast a few meals a week, you are guaranteed to have more space and time than before to connect and commune and connect, connect with God. So fasting is ultimately not about suffering as much as you can, but creating space so you can feast on the right things. It's about denying in order to replace it with filling. Fasting, prayer, and word are inseparable. If you fast, you must replace with the word and prayer and other graces. So when you fast, you are filling with the word and prayer. Abstaining so you can engage. So here's what I would invite you is to give yourself to a lifestyle of fasting. We will do a three-day fast if you want to join us, but I want to invite you to a lifestyle of fasting. The key here is the word invite, not demand or command or law. It's voluntary. Remember, this is an invitation for more of God. It's not commanded in the Bible. It's assumed in the Bible that disciples would do this. But the moment you get caught up in questions of, can I drink coffee? What about tea? What about vitamins? What about juices? You're missing the points. This is not law. This is an invitation, and you may have to tailor make it to your lifestyle, your body, your situation. God is not gonna love you more because you fast more. Hear that. But you will be more in tune with his love if you fast more. You see that? That's radically different. Did you catch that? I will not say it again. God is not going to love you more because you fast more. But if you fast more, you'll probably be more in tune with the love of God. The love of God for you is everlasting and, and, and never stopping. It's just constantly coming at you. But we're just, we're too hard and it's just bouncing off. And so fasting helps position our hearts to receive the love that is already there. And so what would our lifestyle of fasting look like? I'm landing the plane. I, I encourage you to take a 24 period, 24 hour period every week. I'm just going to make a suggestion. You can go do double this. You can do none of this. Every week, set aside. After you eat dinner, fast breakfast and lunch the next day, and that gives you about 24 hours. And those normally, the times that you would normally eat, don't just work more. Don't just do other stuff. Fill that time with more time with God, with your Bible, with a journal, prayer, open up the word, and have a conversation with God about it. Loop back into those things that you put a pin on say something's off. Or really, contend with God in those things you want breakthrough. God, please save my child. Or God, please save my marriage. Let those moments, that breakfast and lunch, give you space to actually engage with God. Also, it's important to state that non-food fasts are so, inv- so valuable too. The Bible never calls anything else but food fast fast. So that's kind of a modern day American thing where you say, I'm fasting the mirror or I'm fasting, you know, Netflix. And those are good though. So that's another thing I would, would pair. If you're fasting food but then binging on Netflix or Hulu or whatever your streaming choice is, it, doesn't, it defeats the point because you're trying to create space so you can fill with more of God. And so. I would highly recommend to consider maybe a 24-hour period where your phone is off if you can with work or at least social media or streaming sites or games on your phone or whatever it is. Uh, One more quote from John Piper. I think it's really helpful. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. And so fasting weekly gives you that space to really engage God and abstain from good gifts like media and other good gifts that can be distractions and fillers. And I, and I want to make this comment. <clears throat> Although a few meals a week may not sound radical, maybe it sounds radical. Maybe one day a week feels like insanely radical. Think about this. Consider the effects over the course of a year. If you fasted two meals a week over the course of a year, that's over a hundred more dates with God. A hundred more appointments where your heart is more open and you're receiving more of the word and prayer. A relationship is not made of one date, but many. And think about the cumulative power and effect of engaging God week after week. Do not put too much pressure over one fast, just like you can't leap too much pressure over one date. That's just too much. It may change your life, it may not. But over time, it builds and it cultivates and it digs deep wells into your heart. Things that are sometimes deeper that you cannot even see. So you can really revolutionize your relationship with God in 2024 by doing something like this. And you can start, supercharge your year with this three-day fast that we're calling the church to join us in. So the fast starts tomorrow morning officially. So if you want, you can eat dinner and then fast until Wednesday night, and if again, if you have a unique health situation, or you're pregnant, or nursing, or maybe you have a history of eating disorders, that's something worth pressing into with community for wisdom. There's a lot of uh, like footnotes I could share here. Remember, this is not a law, but invitation. But I would say that if you can fast for three days, try. We did a seven-day fast two, two or three years ago, and a lot of people thought seven days is impossible, and they, many were able to do it you would be surprised at what the the Lord can help you do. Every day in this room, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday from noon to one, this will be open and we'll have prayer and worship here. If you want to take that time off and just scoot over here real quick to pray to have space because work or home is distracting, this will be open. I also created a three-day prayer guide here. They're in the back and right over here. There's 50 of them. And I'm also gonna send an email out with more tips on practical tips like you know what to drink and all that kind of stuff. And it's basically just a way for you to engage your heart. It's professionally printed in my hopes that some of you will take it more seriously because it's nicer. Uh, And there's just ways for you to engage your heart. There's little devotionals, there's just a few. And it's just a a guide to help you engage God more deeply with your heart during this fast. And so let me just end with this. Church, fasting is a gift so that we can care about the right things, the most important things. I want to invite you to a regular lifestyle of fasting, not to earn but to receive, because fasting cultivates space, vision, and desires for what matters most. Fast with with me, not because you're so godly, but because you realize you're not, and because you know that your wanter is off. And so let's fast in 2024, because we long for our bridegroom to return, and we want to long for him more. Let's pray. The worship band can come up. Father, thank you for this opportunity, this invitation to go near to you, and Lord, if there's anything I said that was off, that could be, that was, wasn't clear, that would give them an inaccurate picture of your heart towards them or what you would teach in the Bible, please correct that. <clears throat> but Lord, most of all, I pray that you would be stirring in all of us a desperation for more of you in 2024, a holy discontentment with where we're at with you, wanting more, not from a place of anxiety or striving or proving, but from a place of belovedness, wanting to grow into receiving more of your, beloved, your love. I pray against any legalism, any pharisaical kind of spirits and thinking about this, any pride where some people are going to try fast in extreme ways to prove themselves to you and to themselves to being more spiritual or better, but that, that everybody would engage in this however you want them, from a place of health, engaging in you and not earning. Lord, lead every single person with what you would have them fast and what what you have for them the next three days. And I just pray that it would be a radically cataclytic, not cataclytic, what does that mean? Catalyzing event for this whole year to help us know you more than ever before, to love you more than ever before. Speak to us, Lord, lead us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.